Hi, my name is Monique and you are listening to the Chronic Illness Unfiltered podcast. Here at Chronic Illness Unfiltered, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Chronic Illness Unfiltered podcast is recorded on Wadandi country. On this podcast, we will be discussing the highs, lows and all that comes with being diagnosed and living with a chronic illness. Come along as we share the personal stories of others who live with chronic illnesses and what they've learned along the way. Please note this podcast is intended for sharing personal stories, discussing relevant topics and is not promoting any personal medical advice. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Chronic Illness Unfiltered podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, there were a few things from last week that I just wanted to touch on and dive a little deeper into. So the first one was I mentioned before my diagnosis of complex regional pain syndrome that I'd had an MRI done that showed some red flags. So in the end, that was not arthritis, but it was some mild bone damage and just some wear and tear. Nothing to be too concerned about at the moment, but again, due to my family history, just something to keep an eye on for the future. Another thing I mentioned was in the ultrasound that showed I had suspected endometriosis. This was due to my ovaries being both of them immobile during the ultrasound due to the suspected endo. During both of my surgeries this year and last year, no endometriosis was found on either of my ovaries. And my first surgery, I also had a dye test through my tubes just to check that they were clear, they weren't blocked, and that was all fine. I also mentioned that I did try the pill to manage my endometriosis symptoms. Now, I know that there are many treatments out there to treat the symptoms of endometriosis, and I know that some of them work, some of them don't. It's very different for every person. You might find it helpful. Somebody else may not find it helpful. So it's very individual to the person. I experienced, as I mentioned, quite a lot of breakthrough bleeding and I had consistent cramping on the pill, which was one reason that I decided to stop taking it. Another reason that I chose to stop taking it was because my husband and I wanted to start our trying to conceive journey, which has been pretty up and down due to my pain and surgeries and things like that. So it's definitely been a journey. I also wanted to touch on a couple of other symptoms that I have with my endometriosis, apart from the bladder pain, the pelvic pain, the painful periods and ovulation and digestive symptoms. They are extreme bloating um, almost every day. It definitely goes through periods where it's worse and where it's not as bad. But there are days where I look pregnant, even though I'm not. And it can be a little bit of a kick in the guts when it is something that you are trying for. It's very uncomfortable and quite painful. And yeah, I can find that I'll get dressed in the morning and I'll feel comfy. And then once the bloating kicks in, it can be pretty uncomfortable. So I'm definitely in the process of kind of revamping my wardrobe for endo belly or bloating friendly options. Um, Another symptom is a lot of trouble sleeping trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, not really getting a good night's sleep. And then in hand in hand with that is fatigue. 
So there are days where I will wake up if I have slept and feel so drained, so tired. Even if I've had eight plus hours sleep at night, I can feel this way. I just have brain fog. I feel very cloudy, like I just have trouble concentrating because I feel very just tired and and just an all-around lack of energy. Now, jumping into today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit more about losing yourself and finding yourself again when you've been diagnosed with a chronic condition. So again, I mentioned in the first episode about dancing and how that was quite a big part of my life. There were numerous reasons that I did decide to stop. But when I did stop dancing, it was not the way that I intended it to. And what ended up being my last dance competition, it was within a few days following that, that my digestive symptoms became a lot worse. And I started that whole investigation process at the beginning of last year. So being diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, having scoliosis, back pain and things like that, my body had been telling me for quite a long time that it was time to hang up the dancing shoes and move on. But my heart and my head just couldn't do it. So I definitely think I hung on for a lot longer than I probably should have just because I really didn't want to let it go. When I stopped dancing, I had to come to terms with the fact that there were many goals that I had set for myself over the years. And some of those goals I was not going to reach. I would have to give up on those dreams, which was really, really hard, but it was such a necessary decision for my physical and mental health. However, in saying that, given that dancing was such a huge part of my life for many, many years, I definitely felt like I lost a part of myself, a very big part of who I was. So trying to find myself again in the midst of giving up something I really, really enjoyed, along with being diagnosed with something that was going to impact me for the rest of my life, really made the situation a lot harder. Now, because I spent most of my early teens and adult life dancing, I that was my interest. When I turned 18 or even younger than that, I was not interested in drinking. I wasn't interested in going to parties. I just worked, studied and had my dancing. So this meant that it was also very much a social outlet for me as well. So the mixture of losing a part of my life that was really important to me and walking away from that and also coming to terms with a new diagnosis and the way that that was going to impact the rest of my life, I definitely found that time very challenging. I felt frustrated. I was sad, angry. I felt incredibly isolated. Now, I didn't feel isolated because I didn't have a good support system. I had an excellent support system. However, I just was going through so many life changes that I didn't feel like a lot of people in my life could relate to. So although they were so supportive and they were there with me holding my hand every step of the way, it still just felt really lonely. Something I also found really difficult, and honestly, it's something I still struggle with now, was not wanting to feel like I was burdening the people around me, especially those people in my really close support system. 
Although I wanted to be honest about how I was feeling, I also didn't want to feel like I was burdening everybody around me or having people feel like they were just sick of hearing me complain. Not that I wanted to come across like I was complaining, but every day was getting harder and harder and harder. My symptoms were getting worse. My pain was getting worse. So I also just wanted to be transparent about what I was going through. But I'm also trying not to let that define me and get in the way of living my life. So it's very much a balance of trying to be open and honest and accept the pain and the symptoms and the way that you're feeling while also trying to get through the day as normally, I suppose, and as best as you possibly can. And as I said, this is definitely something I still struggle with. And I think it's something that I'm always going to struggle with. I don't think I'm ever going to find that perfect balance between sharing and not sharing and doing my best to get through the day as best as I can without letting the symptoms and the pain get in the way of that. I just, for me, I think it's definitely always going to be a very fine line and something that I have to continue to work on to find the perfect balance for myself. So in my experience, having to walk away from something that was such a huge part of my life and who I was, whilst also being met with a new diagnosis and what that was going to look like for the rest of my life, as well as trying to be open and honest with people about how I was feeling, but also at the same time not wanting to burden them or have them feel like I was constantly complaining, I just felt so lost. It felt like not only did I feel a very deep sense of grief for the present and what I had to walk away from and what was such a huge part of my life and my identity, but I also had a lot of grief for what I thought my future was going to look like. All of a sudden now everything had completely changed and there was so much unknown. And this was in many, many aspects of my life, not just a dancing sense. I, My husband and I also used to do a lot of dog training and agility obedience with our two dogs, which we loved and as did they, something that filled up most of our weekends and now you know, I was struggling to just walk from my bedroom to the kitchen some days, let alone be able to run around an agility course or take my dogs for a walk. So I was really lucky for me that my husband really stepped up and he took on that responsibility of exercising our dogs. And we just had to kind of put the rest of what we wanted to do on hold for a little while. We also at the time didn't know what this was going to look like for our future in terms of having a family of our own. And then on top of this, we had been recently married. So of course we had a lot of people that were asking us, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to start having a family? So it was just a really overwhelming time. And I'm going to admit there are still hard days. It's not an easy journey. And my heart really goes out to anybody else that's struggling with this as well. Every couple's journey looks completely different when it comes to trying to have a family. So if this is something that you're in the depths of, I yeah, my heart really goes out to you. So I wanted to move on to chatting a little bit more about some things that I have found helpful to kind of try and find myself again after all of this. Again, I'm definitely not there. I think it's always going to be a work in progress. But here are some things that I found have worked for me so far. 
Number one has been accepting that this is not my fault. There is nothing that I could have done to prevent this and there was nothing I could have done specifically to cause this. So accepting that it was completely beyond my control and allowing myself the space to grieve and feel those feelings. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel lonely and isolated as long as you know, and it's different for everybody. I had to find a way that worked for me that was healthy in dealing with those emotions, whether that was talking to a family member or a friend or my husband, reaching out to a professional to get further support for my mental health. Journaling was another one and something else that I found incredibly valuable for my own experience was joining um, some of the support groups on Facebook, Instagram, being able to talk with other people that were experiencing similar things was really helpful in overcoming those feelings of isolation for me. And this leads on to learning more about my condition and what I was dealing with. Not only was I able to hear firsthand from people that were experiencing it, but I spent a lot of my own time researching and listening to podcasts, reading books to really further and develop my knowledge on what it was that I was dealing with so that when it came time for advocating for myself, I was able to do that and have confidence in what I was advocating for. The next thing I found very helpful was ensuring I had a medical team that I could put my full trust into. For me, this looked like not only my surgeon, my gynecologist, but also my GP. I also saw a naturopath. I was doing acupuncture. I also saw a pelvic floor physio as well as my regular physio. As I mentioned in the past, I've seen pain specialists. I have seen um, rheumatologists as well. My medical team is quite broad based on the conditions that I have and how completely different they are from each other. But this was something that definitely took a lot of time for me to find those people that I really had my full trust in. I ended up finding a new gynecologist after my first surgery. After my second surgery, my GP, who was amazing and had been on this whole journey with me, left and ended up moving away. So I'm still kind of in the process of finding a GP that I really gel with and that I really trust. And something I just had to continue to remind myself was if this person doesn't feel right for me or I don't feel like, you know, they have my best interest at heart or they're not on the same page or our differences vary quite a lot, that's okay. I can continue to seek out until I find the team that I feel is best for me and work together collectively to ensure that I can get the best of what I need from them to manage my conditions. So moving on to talking about kind of the importance of maintaining, you know, good health for yourself in terms of what you're eating, exercising, sleeping and things like that. So definitely, again, something I'm still working on is trying to find a way to move my body that isn't going to flare my symptoms and make my pain worse. 
For a little while there, I tried going to the gym, but I just found that what I was doing at the gym was was escalating those symptoms and that pain. So therefore, I was finding myself more worn out, more tired, in more pain, and then not wanting to go because it really just wasn't working for me. And that's okay. So I've really had to change my mindset now. Exercising for me isn't because I have a particular goal in mind anymore. Exercising for me now is just maintaining my health, moving my body and just giving myself an outlet to clear my mind and still feel active and not getting caught up in the goals and you know, how other people exercise and and what exercise means for every person is very, very different. And that's okay. So if for me, that looks like going for a walk 15 minutes to half an hour every couple of days, if I can't go every day because of my pain and my symptoms, that's okay. I also don't want to overdo it. So I'm not exacerbating my pain and symptoms. And again, that's okay. What works for me is definitely going to vary. And at the end of the day, it's a very personal journey and you definitely just have to find what it is that works for you. Then there's for me, you know, being mindful of what it is that you're putting into your body. Again, I am not perfect at this. I love a good chocolate. Sugar is like my weakness, but I it is definitely something with my celiac journey, with my digestive symptoms, with, you know, just the fact that I'm not able to do that high intensity exercise. And as I'm getting older, it's definitely something that I am trying to be more mindful of. Again, I'm not perfect, but I do try as much as I can to ensure that what I'm putting into my body is fueling my body and not draining it of more energy. And then sleep, which is something, as I touched on earlier, that I am definitely still trying to work on. So for me, that has looked like trying to go to bed at an earlier time. I am definitely a night owl, a night person, not an early morning person at all. Um, I've recently got back into reading, which I have found is a really nice way to just calm my body down, distract myself, but not be endlessly scrolling on my phone. But again, still totally guilty of being sucked down the rabbit hole of social media and endlessly scrolling until late at night every now and again, but it's definitely something I'm getting better at. Another thing I have found helpful is ensuring that my environment that I'm sleeping in is somewhere that I want to sleep, that it's cozy and calming, relaxing, and it's not overstimulating. Then it's moving into identifying your triggers. Again, this will vary person to person. For me and my complex regional pain syndrome, my triggers look like cold, cold weather, um, and excessive amounts of exercise, walking, or standing on my feet. For my celiac, the obvious trigger is gluten. Um, I also try to avoid full cream dairy milk as well because that can give me some IBS symptoms. For my pelvic pain and endometriosis, my main flare-ups are around my period and ovulation. And from the day that my period starts until the day that I have finished ovulating, my body pretty much goes into a three-week flare-up. However, as I've mentioned, I pretty much experience pelvic pain every day. It doesn't really go away. I know my triggers in terms of period and ovulation, also around my bladder, sugar, drinking or eating a lot of sugar can trigger my bladder symptoms. 
But given that this is pain that I'm dealing with on the daily, it's definitely something that I'm still learning about. Um, exercise, excessive walking, standing, being very busy, that can trigger it. But again, I'm still learning. You know, there have been days where my husband and I have been like, yeah, let's go. We're going to go for a road trip. We're going to go have lunch and, you know, just hang out for the day. I might be feeling pretty okay when we leave. And then halfway through our trip, I have just gone down with really bad pelvic pain. So in those situations, I make sure that I have what I need on me when I leave the house at all times to ensure that if I do get in a situation where I'm going to have a flare up, I am able to manage it. Or if I'm with other people, I can communicate to them what I need and they are able to access it for me from my bag or whatever it is that I've got with me. And this is where I have found helpful being open about what I'm going through my journey and how I'm feeling on the day so that other people can be a little bit prepared too, that if we are, you know, if I've got plans to do something with friends and I am having, you know, a pretty semi-okay day, then if that does go downhill, they're aware and they're able to support through that as well. And finding yourself, I mean, again, I think it's going to be a lifelong journey for myself and I'm in the process at the moment of trying to find new hobbies that I enjoy that don't flare up my pain and my symptoms. Like I said, reading I've been really enjoying, starting this podcast was a big one, you know, still being social and hanging out with my friends, but in a capacity where, you know, I still want to have fun and not take away from that, but ensure that I am not going to end up having a full-on flare-up that I have to deal with after the event. This is where I find forward planning pretty useful. So if I know like um, next weekend I am going to a music concert, I purposely got tickets that were seated instead of standing because I knew that if I was standing at a music concert, I was going to definitely end up in a flare up. So at least being in an environment where I can still enjoy it, but sit down and not use all of my energy in that capacity and give myself a flare up. Also, again, forward planning. So if I know that I've got something big coming up, then I'll try to ensure that the following day is clear so that I'm able to rest and give my body that time to regain its energy. And lastly, just be kind to yourself. As I said before, you didn't ask for this. There's nothing you could have done to prevent this. There's nothing that could have been done specifically necessarily to cause this that was within your control. This is a lifelong learning journey and there are going to be ups and downs, bumps in the road, things change. So it's so important to just... Give yourself as much self-care as you can, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's reading, running yourself a bath, having a little staycation, whatever that looks like for you, just really give yourself that care and patience and just be kind to yourself. I wanted to say a huge thank you to all of the people who reached out with their beautiful messages last week when I launched the podcast. And I'm so excited to bring another episode to you soon. Bye.